Michael, Michael, Michael. Oh, Hava, hello, hello. Hello, how are you? You're so clean shaven, you're so fresh. Yeah, look at you, you're wearing a Pink Floyd shirt. It's true, I'm wearing this, it just has such an adorable print on it. I'm pretty neutral on Pink Floyd, but I thought the shirt was really cute. Yeah, I'm kind of neutral on Pink Floyd as well. Yeah, you look good. I always say that. Thank you. Thank you. But it's true. It's been a very cozy day. You seem happy. Yeah, I'm doing good. I've, I've been having a good day. You know, my birthday is on Saturday. So in true Leo fashion, I've tried to be as selfish as I can all week. And today, my boyf brought me home a... Well, first of all, as a treat for my birthday time, he did the grocery shopping by himself instead of us doing it together which was spectacular for me. Oh, I love it. I love it. I know, right? Incredible. Then also, he brought me home a cold brew maker as a present for my birthday. Oh. It's just like a big-ass French press, basically, that oh, you put okay. in your fridge. Because I drink 100% iced coffee 100% of the time. I remember. You do do that. Yeah, so I've been, I've been spoiled today. My Jewish wall calendar came in the mail okay what style of jewish wall calendar it just has like jewish art you know very whatever jewish art like the first month says like bereshit in big jewish calligraphy and has a picture of a shofar because it goes from rosh hashanah to rosh hashanah not gregorian year does it have a gregorian equivalent yeah i mean it has in big numbers it has the regular gregorian days and then it has the hebrew days alongside them hold on one second the driveway guy is coming and can you hear that (laughs) yeah i can hear the rumble uh sorry he's a very cute guy who is uh, doing the driveway for us right now he's got one of those roly-poly-oly machines like a steamroller yeah i don't know but it's not steam powered probably i don't know what yeah it's a roller it's got a big thing in it right rolls and i'm just cozy in bed uh watching him from the window it's very nice. Yeah, very bougie. How else are you, Hava? Let's see. Animal Crossing continues apace. It's only been a few days since I restarted my island, so like nothing. You know, for those of you who know who have played Animal Crossing, it's like very slow to start. So, you know, it's still in, in the very early phases. Nothing nothing too wild going on on the island. What else is going on? Better weather today. It was cloudy. Mm-hmm. That was nice. Mm-hmm. Yes. It wasn't quite so blisteringly hot i'm just just limping along as best i can my boyfriend's mom was was sick which was sad she got covid but she's feeling better which is good she's on the up and up just fucking taking it day by day doing my little jewish chores doing my little animal chores both virtual and actual and getting along as best i can that's nice that's very nice michael yes Yes. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm fine. You know, you know, we don't have a dryer. Oh, okay. You dry your stuff on a line? That's right. And so now I'm, I'm wearing a very musty shirt. <laughs> yeah, like something that didn't quite get fully dried. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hate that. Okay. I wanted to ask you, actually, do you hate it or do you secretly love it? I'm just asking for a friend. <laughs> no, it's not one of those things I secretly love. Although I do feel like there are weird smells 
that many people find unpleasant that I do secretly love, like the smell of gasoline, the smell of like a tire store. Oh, yeah. You know, some some smells that are like, this shouldn't be pleasant, but for some reason is like hitting my nose just right. Yes, I like those too. I just think I I smell like like a sourdough bread. And that's not terrible. Yeah. Honestly, what's making me squicked out more than the smell is imagining the feeling of having a shirt that's slightly damp on. (laughs) Oh, it's fully dry. It's fully Oh, dry. okay. It just is musty, like leftover musty energy. Yeah, yeah. So if you had a fully dry t-shirt that mm-hmm. happened to smell like sourdough bread bakery. I don't think I would like it. I've become right. very self-conscious. You might not be able to know this about me because it's hard for me to actualize this because I'm messy, but my family made fun of me a lot for like always spilling things on myself as a child, which just sounds even more cruel when I say it out loud. But they were very merciless about that. And so I've become like very self-conscious about having dirty clothing on. Oh, So I feel like it's hitting me in that spot of self-consciousness. Okay, well, that's fine. I'll just tell my friend. (laughs) Great. Yeah. Tell your friend about that. Yep. That's it. That's it. I feel fine. I feel good. Mustiness is on the mind. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And on the body. (laughs) Perhaps. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, should, Should we jump into this epi? Yeah. Well, two housekeeping things before we dive into the Russian doll of it all. Yes. The first housekeeping thing is I think this coming Wednesday, my episode of the Rabbit Hole podcast is going to come out. So everyone look forward to that. I'll post it on all our social media stuff. I got to have this really cool hour long conversation uh, with the hosts over there about Talmudic pedagogy. At one point, they asked me, if you were in charge of the entire education system tomorrow, what would it look like? Oh, that's <laughs> That fun. was a really hard question <laughs> to deal with. But I think it's a good episode. So look forward to that. And the second thing is just to announce explicitly that we've been pondering here over at the Hi, How Are You office, the possibility of doing longer episodes, fewer longer episodes. And today is going to be our first experiment in making a longer episode. Speaking of hour-long conversations. Yes, but still once a week. Yes, at least once a week. So far, we will never go go below once a week. Yeah, we would never do that. We would wither away without our once a week expression of our nonsense glands. Yeah, social commitment. Like, this is the equivalent of our rich ladies getting together to, like, have tea and talk about Botox and stuff. (laughs) Right, where this is our ladies who lunch. Sorry, that's just the image that came to mind because I'm watching Gilmore Girls. The Gilmore Girls. I love it. I love it. I know you do. And I... I want to say I support that for you, but I'm not sure I do. It's just a great way to discover cultural tropes that I wasn't aware of before, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so this episode is going to be our first experiment with that. So be gentle with us. And if you support that move, then send us a message of support. We need all the encouragement we can get at all times about everything. Yes. And to those of you who have encouraged us in this quest for longer episodes already... Thank you very much for your encouragement. Yes, yes. Thank you, everyone. Always. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, all the time for everything. The end. So it is our fifth Russian Doll episode. 
Finally. Did you watch the episode, Michael? Of course I watched the episode. I watched it with Grunge Girl. Oh, do you always watch episode together? Uh, usually, we didn't do episode four together, but we did do five together. The big secret. That's cute. Grunge Girl wasn't into the show for a while. She said, like, the f- oh. watch the first two episodes, and she was like, this, is, this isn't going anywhere. Those first two episodes, it's still getting its momentum, as we've discovered on this very show. <laughs> yes, yes. And the first two episodes, I feel like they could have done it all in an episode and a half, but that's just not how episodes work. So I can see how it drags. Mm-hmm. Right. But the third episode is really where it takes off. And the fourth is obviously, you know, where we get a new character and then it starts really taking off. And now we're at the fifth. And so Crunch Girl really liked the fifth episode. Great. Yeah. We're in the meat of act two. Yes, we are. Crunch Girl approved. I'll try to get that message to, uh, to Natasha Leone. Yeah. She uh, appreciates that, that she has finally been approved. So episode five, here is our, our basic plot summary. In a big picture, it could pretty much just be summarized as Alan and Nadia, our titular characters, our Russian dolls, just have some hijinks. <laughs> is basically the plot of this episode. Yeah, they go through the cycle a few times trying to figure out what's going on. They try a few strategies. They go through some hijinks. At the end, they die again. You know, they're just learning stuff. So we start out with Alan and Nadia at Nadia's birthday party, sort of discussing what the fuck they think is happening to them. Alan thinks it is, as he puts it, purgatorial punishment. I forget what Nadia says she thinks it is. Not purgatorial punishment. She thinks that's too self-centered. Yeah, too self-centered. And at one of the points, she even says, if, if it really is about some punishment, then how come the guy... Right, Mike. Mike, how come he's not getting reincarnated? Because he's clearly right. a sleazeball. Like... He has a lot of moments this episode, Mike. Oh, he does. He's he gets so a lot of screen time and a lot of a lot of character development. I think he has some of the best lines. Yeah, we'll get to that. And they're trying to ponder it out. They hang out with the geode vagina in Nadia's bathroom for a while, which I, I don't re- still don't really understand what's happening there. I wonder if it's a comedic reference to the geode vagina wedding cake. Have you seen this? Yeah, I've definitely seen that, but I could understand if the actual art piece in-universe is a comedic reference to Geode Vagina Wedding Cake, but I don't understand what the Geode Vagina is doing within the symbolism of Russian Doll, you know? We spend so much time looking at it. I think in the first episode, Nadia gets injured, and the injury on her face looks like the Geode Vagina. Okay, I don't see vaginas everywhere i look that's something you need to go figure out i i know for a fact that that's not true oh i just can't go to the grocery store i just (laughs) everywhere i look it's just vagina after vagina i am still i'm not convinced about this but nadia in order to test alan's theory that it's purgatorial punishment asks everyone at the party if she's a bad person Yes. And everyone has their own answers. Lizzie is basically like, yes, you are a bad person. You've given me a bunch of advice that has ruined my life. Uh, But she says it in a very lighthearted way. So I'm not sure whether she really thinks Nadia is bad or not. And then Maxine is like, yes, but that's what I love about you. I love that you're a cunt. (laughs) That's one of your best qualities. I think that's important that she says the word cunt. The light bulb went off just now. Yeah, about the geode vagina. No, no, well, no, not about the geode vagina, about the fact that one of the times she goes through the cycle, the last thing she says is she's holding this book that's written by the author of Anne of Green Gables, and it's about this girl who's kind of like more dark and broody and has does some less wholesome right, stuff. Right, Emily of New Moon. 
That's yeah. going to keep coming up. Emily of New Moon. She reads a quote and she says, oh, Rhoda was a real cunt. Oh, right. Right. And that's when the house explodes from the gas leak and right. she dies. Wow. You're tracking things on a higher level than me. Well, you see vaginas everywhere and I see the word cunt <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> right. In no way connected. You know, we've talked about it before that she's able to get to the next day and the next day by doing something like kind of more right. That's more good. Right. Well, we're going to talk about that a lot more this yes, episode. Yes, I've yes. been developing my theories even further. OK, OK. Continue with the summary. So they're they're having all this stuff at the party. Alan is getting to into a fight with Mike. John, her ex-boyfriend shows up again and they sort of get into a fight about how Nadia was supposed to meet his daughter and she ran away. And so she's sort of like, you know what? Like, fuck it. I'll meet your daughter. And this is sort of the beginning of my theory of this episode that one of the ways that the universe is actually being incredibly kind to Alan and Nadia in this moment is it's giving them like a consequence-free space in which to practice being vulnerable and kind. Yes, yes. Like Nadia is able to say like, fuck it, I'll meet your daughter because she feels like she'll be safe no matter what. And this is just like a sort of a cosmic crutch to sort of simulate the feeling of being secure in yourself enough to like take emotional risks yes yes she's simulating being kind but relying on the fact that it doesn't matter from her perspective because she's just going to repeat it right she's going with alan's theory and seeing if by being kind she won't be reincarnated again but she's not actually being kind there's a crutch that no one is aware of except for the people going through the reincarnation cycle Right. And this brings me to sort of two things that I noticed about this episode that I, I really liked thematically is I feel like with this episode, we're really seeing Nadia and Alan withdraw even more into a world of their own. You know, the show starts to feel more and more fishbowl-ish, like Nadia and Alan are sort of playing a different game than everyone else around them. Up until this point, I feel like both of them have been trying to like reach out to other people in their lives or freak out on other people in their lives to sort of figure out what's going on. And with this episode, they're sort of turning more and more towards each other. Yeah, yeah. They realize it's a game or they start approaching it like a game. Mm -hmm. But then they forget that it's a game. And then they're like, there's moments where they're actually vulnerable because they let the mask down temporarily. Right, exactly. I feel like this almost resembles a technique I often use in my own life, which is like acting as if, like, how would I act in this moment if I trusted this person? How would I act in this moment if I loved myself? Yeah. <laughs> and just yeah, like yeah. doing that and seeing how it pans out. Yeah, and, and that feels like I'm really seeing that happen on the screen in this episode. Totally. It's like a fake it till you make it approach to changing your own ability to be sincere and vulnerable. Right. So the idea that we're going to be exploring in text today is sort of this idea of death as a safe space. Oh. It's a it's a very sort of like tenuous thread to, to dance no, I on. Love but it. I love it. I it's it's it. going to be fun and abstract and weird. But anyway, more episode happens. Nadia goes over to Ruth, her sort of adoptive slash foster mother's house to get the book Emily of New Moon. And we finally see, I don't know if this is the first time in the episode, it's the first time I noticed we finally see an actual Russian doll. It was like the first time they said the thing in the thing. <laughs> Ruth's fruit is rotten, which is another symbol of the sort of consequences that are happening outside of their little death bubble. 
and uh, there's a gas explosion. They both die. It's really sad. I just love, I wrote down in my notes, God, I love her red shirt look here. She's re- wearing an inc- really great, like all black, but with a really bright red shirt outfit on. It just looks phenomenal. Oh, I don't remember the outfit, but I do remember the scene. I really love the scene. Another reason was the, the whole cunt reference, the whole Nadia is one. She calls a character in the book one and the explosion right. correlates but also Ruth saying that Nadia asks her like in a moment of vulnerability would you be fine if you died today would you be at peace with yourself and right. Ruth says yes or no and then says in life you have to have the ability to hold two contradictory ideas in your head and like believe them mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting because that made me think of uh, 1984 where you have to be able to do the double think and it's a negative thing right. I think there's right. two types of double think there's the negative double think and then there's the kind of like humble yourself to the universe double think where you hold two ideas in your head and you can't reconcile them and something mm-hmm. about that is beautiful not, right not like the propagandistic hold two ideas in your head right i mean friend of the pod binya koatz has often taught me a way to think about paradox particularly in judaism but also in other areas is like finding paradox is actually a sign that hashem is like present in whatever is going down yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's that's true. I, I like that a lot. And and I think that's related probably to the theme of like death mm-hmm. a little bit, like the mystery of death, the fact that you don't know right. what's happening afterwards. It can be liberating in the same way that the mystery of the paradoxes in the world can kind of give you a liberating fuck it kind of attitude and bravery mm-hmm. and ability to be maybe more sincere in certain moments. Right. Right. So they both die in a gas explosion, which I feel like is the first time that an important character has died along with our heroes. Yeah. And I don't know if it's exactly at this point, but Nadia starts to think about how these might actually be other universes they're experiencing and that Ruth might be out there alone in those other universes. And that's really sad. I really teared up at that part because it was really sad. We sort of get to our climactic moments. Alan gets into a fight with Mike, the asshole, and asks him, why did Beatrice, his girlfriend, choose Mike to cheat on him with? And Mike says, the only choice she made was not you. Nobody chooses me. I'm the whole where a choice should be. Yes. Which I imagine is one of the things you were referring to when you said Mike has one of the best lines. Yeah, best line. And what's cool is Alan, the first time in one of the loops, he just freaks out and tries to beat him up. Right. And the second time, he seems to know that that's futile. He's either using the crutch of the... The safe space created by their death loop. Exactly. Or he's actually being vulnerable. And he just asks, why is she with you and not with me? It's a very... I don't know, a brave question, I feel like, right. to ask. A lot of things coming up right now. One thing I just have to say is that I wrote down this line, cool, but also fuckboy shit. I thought like this line was really well written and really cool like writing, really slick for Mike to deliver it. Yeah. But it's also just like the exact kind of self-pitying shit <laughs> that so many men I've experienced do when they employ the sort of like, I'm no good for you excuse. What Mike is really saying here is like, I get to be shitty because I am inherently shitty and there's no fixing me. So therefore I'm free to be shitty and you should actually pity me instead. 
Oh, I don't think he's asking for pity. I don't think he's consciously asking for pity, but mm. I think pity is part of the way he's cutting himself loose from responsibility for his no, actions. I think you're imagining that. I, I saw him as soon as he said that line. I'm like, We're all imagining all of this, okay? Yes, this is a yes, fucking uh, TV okay, show. It's the TV show. I was like, oh, Mike, he's just like a devil. You know, he's like a little imp. He's a little demon. That's what he but is. But he's not. He's a human. And that's why it's such such a shitty thing, actually, to say is because he's not just an evil being. He's like actually a person who has the choice to not suck. Well, you said in an earlier episode that Russian Doll is kind of interesting because it's like a parable, right? Right. He said that line, no person would say that about themselves except for... I don't know. He's very pretentious. No, but it's such an awful thing to say about yourself. Like, I'm the thing that women take when there's when they have a hole. It's like he says it with a smile. It, it's very demonic, I think. I think it was like, oh, he's the devil. Mm. He's, he's a demon-like figure. I can see that in the context of the symbology of the show, but something about this line just resonated with me so much as like something that I've heard from men before who have been like either breaking up with me or excusing their own shitty behavior. Well, yeah, I mean, I think those men are shitty, and I think those men that you've probably interacted with have felt guilty and pathetic and weak and whatever, all that, and they're using it as an excuse, but I think what's so striking about that line is that he, he just doesn't care. It's almost like the flip side of the bravery that they're trying to cultivate by, like, being more sincere it's like the opposite of it. He's just this nihilistic, I don't give a shit about anyone, I don't even give a shit about me attitude. The other thing I was going to say is it's wild. I don't think I've brought up this text in the context of our Russian doll episodes, but a text we've talked about a couple times on the show before is Maimonides' definition of repentance, which is returning to the same circumstances in which you've sinned and being able to make a different decision, which really remembered when you talked about how Alan like switches technique. You know, there's no knowing. We know that Natasha Leone had a ton of Jewish texts in her head when she made this show, and there's no knowing if this one was up there, but it feels like so present in this show. Anyway, so the rest of what happens is that Nadia is going to breakfast with John's daughter, and she chickens out at the last second because she's scared of dying in front of John's daughter because all of the death is finally starting to get to her which is a very novel part at the end of this episode. I think it's also implied that we don't see how some of her loops close off and she gets resurrected. I think mm -hmm. it's implied that she has tried to see the daughter a few times and has died. Mm. I didn't get that, but I'm not I'm not saying it's not implied. I just personally didn't think that when I saw it. Are you planning on talking about how she gets shot by Ruth at some point? That was an earlier loop. Oh, I skipped it on my notes. I, I We started talking about Mike. But yeah, that's like the most brutal death of the episode. I cried about it when I watched it. She goes to get the book to give to the daughter. And that didn't work because it exploded. So she tries to sneak in at night. That doesn't work because Ruth shoots her. Because she thinks she's a burglar. Yep, yep. And then now, I don't think she has the book, but she's just going to meet the daughter. And I think there's implications that she died trying to go in so it's like the universe keeps telling her that this path of like fake niceness or this relationship she's trying to rekindle with john is somehow not the right thing to do right and i think it's also it's telling that one of the things that i think is making her wake up to the important people in her life that really care about her is seeing how Ruth reacts to losing her. I think that's part of what's bringing her out of this. And again, very interesting that it's the foster mother figure that's sort of the 
possibly the important emotional relationship rather than the romance. That's sort of bringing her out of this cycle and, and into sort of her impact in other people's lives. And yeah, at the end, she runs into Alan and they both get crushed by air conditioner. I think they both made progress. Alan got vulnerable and was able to like hear why his girlfriend didn't want to be with him. Yeah. And was able to at least hear it and react to it without breaking something. Right. And then Nadia was like realizing how her actions affect people in the short term. Her actions to John are going to hurt him by like running away not seeing the daughter, but in the long term, she realizes that it's bad for everyone if she tries to get involved, that she's not mature enough, she's not present enough to be re-involved with John. She doesn't want to fuck up his life again, which is nice. Right. I think part of what makes this show work so well is that there's like some really clear character development each episode, even though it's cyclical. I feel like every episode that we've covered so far, we've been able to say like, this is what is changing about the character in this episode in a really clear way. Anyway, let's get some Jewish text in here. Okay, okay. So this first text is from Brachot 10a. Rav Shimi Bar Ukva said to Rav Shimon Ben Pazi, Corresponding to who did David say the five instances of bless the eternal, O my soul? So basically, like, what did David mean when he said that five times? And he said, David said this about none other than the Holy Blessed One and about the soul itself. Ma hakadosh baruch hu, kol haolam af neshama malea et kol haguf. Ma hakadosh baruch hu, ro'e wa'eno af neshama ro'a wa'ena nireh. Ma hakadosh baruch hu, zan et kol haolam kulo, af neshama zana et kol haguf. Ma hakadosh baruch hu, tahor af haneshama tahora. Just like the Holy One, blessed be they, pervades the entire world, the entire universe, similarly the soul pervades the entire body. Just like the Holy One sees but is not seen, similarly the soul sees but is not seen. Just like the Holy One sustains the entire world, Similarly, the soul sustains the entire body. Just as the Holy One is pure, so too is the soul pure. And just as the Holy One resides in a chamber within a chamber, so too the soul resides in a chamber within a chamber. Oh, that's a nice little Ark of the Covenant Temple Mound mm -hmm. reference. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. We love to see it. Friend of the show, Temple Mound. Yeah, big fan. That would be a great drag name. <laughs> Temple Mound. <laughs> Temple Mound. <laughs> oh. Uh, you're free to take that, listeners. Yeah, I just brought this one because I feel like souls are so up in this series, and I was really intrigued by all of these qualities of the soul, and also of thinking of souls as being sort of like, of in some way, basically the same substance of God is always an intriguing way to think about the soul, thinking about, I don't know, like Nadia and Alan, I feel like in some ways are like, they see, but they're not seen, you know, like they're, they have a secret world going on and they're like looking out at everyone else in their lives, you know, like they're going through something no one else can see. So you're saying like their fishbowl perspective reminds you of how you imagine the souls has a fishbowl perspective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels like they are ghosts. You know, yeah. and one way to think about ghosts is as the sort of 
souls that are living on without the body. And in the case of Russian Doll, Nadia and Alan are like ghosts that just happen to still have sort of the the shell attached. Hmm. <laughs> I just like the metaphor. It's a God metaphor I haven't heard before. God is like a soul, but for the whole universe. Right. It's the soul of the universe, basically. I think part of what I was getting at here is sort of like, I don't know, there's just something, you know, I, I said the texts were going to be touching on the idea of death as a safe place, you know, and I feel like this somehow spoke to me about the soul as sort of being like nestled up inside its little cubby hole. I feel like Nadia and, and Alan's souls are being sort of shepherded on this journey by a unknowable force, you know, possibly by the soul of the world. Yeah, I, I think, oh, death, oh, death, oh, my brain, my brain, Hava, my brain. <laughs> I think that fishbowl perspective, it can be valuable. Sometimes I can get that fishbowl perspective. I obviously can't be, I'm not dying and like being resurrected. That, I'm sure, leads to a nice fishbowl perspective. Mm -hmm. But trying to take the long view, like sometimes I'm just walking around and, and I imagine like a mid-level Babylonian bureaucrat like going to work. Yeah. And I think about myself that way. Mm -hmm. It's very As humbling. the mid-level Babylonian bureaucrat that you are. Exactly. I'm a mid-level Babylonian bureaucrat making a podcast with like a lower-level Babylonian whore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, metaphorically speaking, of course. Metaphorically speaking, of course. No, just like taking the long view, you know, like stepping out. I'm thinking about like couples arguing, you know, and instead of having the argument, you like back up and think about the... The big picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the yeah, I mean, I feel like that's something I often try to do when thinking about my own mortality is sort of like imagine myself as the soul imagine what parts of myself might be eternal you know and and try to think about myself in that context i think a big part of the reason that judaism has been so essential to my life is because it is in a lot of ways a project that contextualizes me in a big picture being a part of a multi-millennial project rather than just a however many years my life is project yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's I, I, I love an ancient cult. You know that. The idea of multi generational projects will really become relevant in season two of Russian oh, Doll. Oh, interesting. I do think it can be very helpful. I think it elicits the sort of vulnerability that we see in the characters to have that sort of fishbowl approach. And I do think seeing yourself in the context of something larger really helps peel away some of the layers, the layers of the immediate world around you that perhaps keep those masks up right right i think that's very much what nadia and alan are being guided through is mm -hmm. that process mm -hmm. something else this is one that is a little more of a tidbit that i just thought was fun from Chagiga 12b the souls of the righteous are found in heaven as it is stated the soul of my master shall be bound in the bundle of life with the eternal your god Spirits and souls that are to be created are found there, as it is written, for the spirit that enwraps itself is for me and the souls I have made. So basically, this is just two biblical proofs stating, one, the souls of the righteous, seemingly after death, are in heaven, and also the spirits and souls that are waiting to be created are also up there. So this is, sort of, I feel like, sort of relevant to our reincarnation discussion that we've had a couple times on the show, that... 
it's interesting and, and relevant to think about that, like both the sort of proto person and the post person are both in the same metaphysical space. Whoa. Whoa. In this Talmud Sugya, you know, the same, all the same material is up there and it's all up there with God, which as we just read in the last Sugya is in some way similar to that material. You know, it's all up there in a, in a big soup or possibly on a throne. Whoa, it's really. <laughs> just thinking of jello for some reason you know <laughs> the spiritual jello up in the sky yeah 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 or like a stew or something difficult to see through <laughs> i'm thinking about how there's a, a sort of teaching that when we sleep our our souls also go up to heaven while we're asleep and then they come back when we wake up and just thinking about mortality and a teaching that I've heard before is like, if you think about it, you experience the extinguishing of self like every day when you go to sleep, you know? So you really don't have to be frightened of death because you have like a lot of practice being like ready to let go of self, not knowing if it will come back. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Isn't it just? <laughs> it's a little, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little haunting. <laughs> Uh, I guess it just, I just, I feel like it's relevant to, to our lives and to Nadia and Alan's journey, right? That they're, they're also getting this practice, these practice rounds. There's some kind of connection there for me to like the cyclical nature of it all. What do you think of this idea that our post-death souls and our pre-birth souls are sort of mingling around in the same soup yeah i'm 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 for it i'm for it i don't really (laughs) know if there's a distinction though between my either one of those souls that are mine and other people's souls Mm -hmm. that aren't quote-unquote mine right so like yeah i'm I'm into it that soul gets ladled out into a new person it might have a little bit of michael and a little bit of a bunch of other people in there yeah yeah i do kind of think it's like a big pot of soul which yeah. sounds like an album <laughs> a, from the 70s you might call it chicken soup for the soul yeah yeah well it's it's actually soul soup for the body right chicken you know? soup of the soul yeah 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 you know what let's let's get some more text this next text is a big fucking long ass one. Oh, okay that's gonna take forever for me to read okay great um so i hope all listeners enjoy just like audiobook versions of me reading Jewish texts as a part of our episodes. So this one is from the Rambam from Maimonides on Mishnah Sanhedrin 10.1. And now I will begin to speak about that which I intended. You should know that just like the blind person does not grasp the appearance of colors, and the deaf person does not grasp the sound of voices, and the eunuch sexual desire, so too bodies do not grasp spiritual pleasures. And just like the fish do not know the element of fire, since they are in the element of water, which is the opposite, So too, in this physical world, pleasures of the spiritual world are not known. Rather, we do not have among us any of this pleasure, but only the pleasures of the body, and that which is grasped by the senses regarding food, drink, and sex. We do not have spiritual pleasure, and so we do not recognize it or understand it without great analysis. And it is fitting that it is like this, since we are in the physical world, and that is why we only grasp the lower, temporary pleasures. But spiritual pleasures are permanent, lasting forever, without end. There is no connection or similarity in any way between these two pleasures. Personal interjection, that seems wacky given what he just said it is not fit for us the masters of torah and not for the godly of the philosophers that we should say that the angels or the stars or the spheres do not have any pleasure but rather 
They truly have great pleasure in that they know and grasp the truth of the Creator. May He be blessed. And so, too, when the one that will be purified is purified, and he goes up to that level after his death, he does not grasp the physical pleasures and does not want them. It is like a king who is the top of the government would divest himself of his kingdom and his government and go back to playing ball with children like he used to do before his kingdom. Since that was in his being small of years when he did not distinguish between the worth of these two things. Just as today we praise and elevate the physical pleasures and not the spiritual pleasures. Okay, quick explainer of this paragraph. One, this has like some of the essence of what I really liked about this text, which was just saying like, Maimonides' point of view is divine beings and also stars and also the spheres are basically in total ecstasy 24-7 because of their knowledge of God, which is a very mystical thing for the Rambam to say. Yeah, yeah. Almost like equating it to the childlike joy of playing with a ball and not knowing anything about hierarchical power and material. Well, I think he's actually saying with that very confusing metaphor, my understanding of what he's saying is when we were up there uh, vibing see. in the soul soup, we were like the kings uh, in the most okay. refined level. Right, but when right. we come back down here and we start caring about food and shit again, we're like the child with the ball. Then we're like babies. Oh, I would have reversed it. I would have reversed it. <laughs> and I, I think that's valid, but I just really liked something about we're getting to like the death as a safe space here that like our souls after death, at least in the Rambam's understanding, are sort of existing in a state of permanent ecstasy and pleasure and potentially play. You know, our souls are having a grand old time up yeah, in the yeah, jello. Yeah. yeah, I you like know? it. They're not just like... uh being very serious, like godly creatures. Huh. Okay. 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 So, so far we have a couple different strategies for being chill. One is constantly be reincarnated and relive right. the same day over and over and over again. One is like, take the big view, big perspective, see yourself as part of like a multi-generational thing or humble yourself to how small you are by like seeing some big perspective view right. of your place in the world and cosmos and history another one we had was you get to practice when you're asleep and right, now we have another right, one right. which is by the way what you want and desire is totally different when you're like in heaven hanging out right in but i think i think part of what i'm getting to with the heaven bit and maybe part of what I'm realizing is a common thread for me in these texts that I didn't even realize when I put them together is like the soul soup and the souls we have in our bodies now mm -hmm. and the substance that makes up God are some percentage the same, depending on who you're asking. And they're all able to sort of partake of that different level of pleasure. I don't know. I guess I'm just saying like there's there's some part of us that is like by its very nature destined for eternal union with the divine and pleasure. And in that way, there's some part of us that's always safe. Yeah. Deal with it. Deal with it, people. Deal with it. Just you know, deal. that's just my personal approach. And so the last the last paragraph of the Rambam, and by their saying, and they derive pleasure from the radiance of the divine presence, I would say that those souls derive pleasure in that which they grasp and know 
the truth of the Creator, may He be blessed, like the holy creatures and other levels of angels derive pleasure in what they grasp and know of His existence. Behold that the ultimate good and objective is to reach this supernal company, and to be with this honor and the level mentioned and the preservation of the soul, as we have explained. Without an end in the existence of the Creator, may He be blessed, who is the cause of its existence since the soul has grasped Him as is explained by the first philosophers. And this is the great good to which there is no good to equate to it and no pleasure to compare to it. Since how can the eternal that has no end be compared to something finite? Oh, wow. Maimonides, you really... I know, you secret mystical minx. You little, little motherfucker. I know, right? What a twist. What an unexpected oh, little rom-bomb. Yeah. Huh. So different from our episode where we talked about the apocalypse and Maimonides was like, in the world to come, everything will be the same. Nothing will be scientifically different. So don't be weird about it. This time he's like, we're all just like voyagers on an ocean of pleasure, man. Yeah. yeah. And our ultimate goal, like purpose is to just reconnect with the divine. So Right. Okay. Right. And right. I think one of the key differences between me and Maimonides, many differences, but I would disagree strongly with his um, first paragraph where he says the eternal pleasures and the physical pleasures have like no um, no relationship to each other. My contention and, and my sort of how belief of God feels for me is just feeling like the eternal pleasure that is sort of like the great good and the little pleasure of having a really nice cup of coffee in the morning are like in some way fundamentally connected in the same way that our little soul soups in their chambers within chambers seeing without being seen is the same as the soup of the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with that. The soups are the same. The coffee and goodness are somehow the same. You know what this is also reminding me of is hazing. I kind of think of all these different ways of becoming more connected to God, which is the same thing as being more vulnerable. It's like in order to get there, you have to be hazed. Like you have to go through the tribulation? You have to go through some bullshit. I know that's a loaded term, and I'm using it slightly comedically, but yeah, it's like Nadia and Alan are being hazed. I think part of the process of getting to the place where you can be more vulnerable, and you're hazed by life in order to get there. Yeah, I mean, this is all, all these texts are very tenuously connected, but what you're saying is very much making me think of Nadia and Alan's predicament and how they're sort of like... Who can say if they would have learned their lessons without these supernatural happenings? But by your measurement, it's like they sort of had to go through all of this. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. maybe part of the reason they're having to do it supernaturally is because they had so much fucked up stuff going on inside. There's no way they would have had time to cover that territory in their normal yeah. lives. So they needed to get like an accelerated soul course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of. So I have a little more. Oh my God, Hava, you're fucking pulling it out. I know. Well, this is our experiment with a longer episode. So I brought some writing from uh, I'm a Strange Loop by Douglas Hofstadter, who is a physicist and writer. And here's what he has to say about death. My point here is to cast some doubt on the dogma, usually unquestioned in our world, which could be phrased as a slogan, one body, one soul. No one has trouble with the idea that the same gene can exist in two different cells in two different organisms. But what is a gene? A gene is not an actual physical object, because if it were, it could only be located in one cell, in one organism. No, a gene is a pattern, a particular sequence of nucleotides. And so a gene is an abstraction, and thus the very same gene can exist in different cells, different organisms, living millions of years apart. 
The name Carol, for me, denotes far more than just a body, which is now gone, but rather a very vast pattern, a style, a set of things, including memories, hopes, dreams, beliefs, loves, reactions to music, sense of humor, self-doubt, generosity, compassion, and so on. Those things are to some extent shareable, objective, and multiply instantiable, a bit like software on a diskette. Oh. <laughs> and my obsessive writing down of memories and the many videotapes she is on and all of our collective brainstored memories of Carol make those pattern aspects of her still exist, albeit in spread out form. Spread out among different videotapes, among different friends' and relatives' brains, among different yellow-sheeted notebooks, and so on. In any case, there is a spread-out pattern of carolness that's very discernible in the physical world. And in that sense, carolness survives. In the wake of a human being's death, what survives is a set of afterglows, some brighter and some dimmer, in the collective brains of all those who are dearest to them. And when those people in turn pass on, the afterglow becomes extremely faint. And when that outer layer in turn passes into oblivion, then the afterglow is feebler still. And after a while, there is nothing less. It seems to me, therefore, that the instinctive, although seldom articulated, purpose of holding a funeral or memorial service is to reunite the people most intimate with the deceased and collectively rekindle in them all, for one last time, the special living flame that represents the essence of that beloved person, profiting directly or indirectly from the presence of one another, feeling the shared presence of that person in the brains that remain, and thus solidifying to the maximal extent possible those secondary personal gemi that remain a flicker in all these different brains. Though the primary blame has been eclipsed, there is, in those who remain and who are gathered to remember and reactivate the spirit of the departed, a collective corona that still glows. This is what human love means. The word love cannot thus be separated from the word I. The more deeply rooted the symbol for someone inside you, the greater the love, the brighter the light that remains behind. So that was a lot of feelings. Oh, God. This guy <laughs> needs to go on a date. <laughs> Yeah, there are many obvious reasons why I brought that text. It was good. I can't think of, of one reason why he brought that text. <laughs> really? Oh, what a downer. What an upper but a downer. I know. Well, that's what this episode is all about. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. It feels very relevant to what we were saying about Nadia's experience when she gets shot by Ruth. She's finally seeing the parts of her that live on in other people. Mm -hmm. And like the Nadia-ness that lives outside herself. You know, she's sort of to go back to something you've been saying about the characters. She's like learning a new way to be self-centered, you know, like oh, she's been centered yeah. on on little, little Nadia, the Nadia that's like contained within the walls of Nadia's body. Yeah. But she's learning to see and experience and care about the Nadia that's like living in the brains of Maxine and Ruth and john you yeah, know and, yeah, all, and all yeah. of her friends and yeah that just feels relevant feels like also shockingly relevant to what you had to say about how our soups are all mixed up with each other is like they're all already mixed up with each other down here oh yeah they are for sure you know for sure parts of my soul are in your brain yeah parts of my soul are in all of your brains listener <laughs> yeah uh um, deal with that deal, deal go, with go deal that, with that bitches <sighs> uh yeah i don't know if there's too much more insightful that we can say that hofstetter didn't already say so i'll give our last text that i didn't know why i put it on the end but it's just one line and i think is a perfect thing to bring our conversation to a close is the classic kol 
from Ruby Nachman, the whole world is a very narrow bridge, and the essential thing is not to be afraid at all. Um, you know, just feels yeah. right. I feel like we've today we've explored and discovered that the whole world for Nadia and Alan and ourselves is a very narrow bridge surrounded by soul soup and death and memories and the only thing we can do is trudge on bravely ahead oh wow yeah oh. i guess this is what it feels like to make longer episodes yeah just, just <laughs> blasting me i just feel blasted lava. blasted with soul soup i'm right fine the making these longer episodes but oh just i feel <laughs> my lips are chapped with like soul blasting you know <laughs> What is this show for if not to explore these kinds of issues, you know? Is this not why we started it, really, to begin with? That's true. Mm -hmm. That's what I had to say about Russian Doll Season 1, Episode 5. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in for this incredibly experimental and bizarre episode. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends to listen to it. Please help us continue to make the show by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hi, how are you? Either way, we just appreciate you being here to listen and coincidentally receive some of our soul soup into yep. your heads. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And your soul soup is in our heads. Mm, maybe. Some of you. If you write in a question to the Talmud hotline, <laughs> yeah. little soul soup right in the head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And without further ado, Thank you so much, and Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.